So if you have your Bibles, go ahead, turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, as we continue the series on the book of Galatians. Um, Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 is where we are today. And you have, if you have it, say amen. Awesome. And it's also on the screen, I think, too. All right. So Galatians chapter 2, 11 through 14, it says, But when Caiaphas, or Cephas, which is also the name for Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Father, bless your word. Pray that you anoint every word that comes out of my mouth so that it won't be empty words, but be words with power that brings conviction, that brings truth to our hearts and our souls where we desperately need it, need it. And it's only your word that can transform our lives. And so I pray that your word and your word alone is spoken through me. And so we pray all this in your name. Amen. All right. So Galatians chapter two, this section um, is our text for today. And again, if you uh, have missed any of the sermons and the sermons in the series, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to them online. We have them uploaded on Spotify so that you can kind of keep up because it's really important so that you know the context of uh, the passage. So when we have our following sermons, you can kind of uh, not be lost. Uh, but the good, but the, 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 what I want to do right now before we actually get into this text, I want to give us a quick recap of where we are. So the book of Galatians is a very passionate book. It's a passionate letter that Paul wrote to address uh, some troubling issues that he heard that was happening amongst these churches in Galatia. And these were churches that Paul planted several years ago. He left and then he started hearing that these Jewish leaders were going around these churches to kind of preach what we we are naming, or in fact, this is what Paul says, a false gospel, a unverified gospel. So the Galatians, these people in this region, they were non-Jewish people. They were not following the laws of Moses. The laws of Moses wasn't their tradition. And so these groups of people who were Jewish teachers were going around these churches telling these non-Jewish people, listen, in order to fully be accepted by God, you have to first convert to Judaism. You have to first convert into our religion. 
You have to adopt our religion, our custom, our tradition. You have to follow our rules. And then your salvation would be complete. And so accepting Jesus wasn't enough. And so these people were saying that in order to be fully accepted by God, you have to first go through Moses. Yeah, Jesus is nice, but you got to go through Moses too. And this was a totally different message from the message that Paul was preaching. And so this is why Paul wrote this letter. Religion and tradition or following strict rules, these people were saying, is what we needed. And so Paul had to address that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and for the glory of God alone, that we are saved. And it's not through religion or through Moses or through strict rules or through tradition. Paul was preaching that Jesus Christ was sufficient. And when Jesus died on a cross, the last thing he said was, it is finished. It is finished. And what made this message so dangerous that these Jewish leaders were preaching, and this is the reason why Paul had to address it, was because it was calling Jesus a liar. Because when he died on the cross, he said, it was finished. My sacrifice was sufficient. But these Jewish people came and said, nah, just kidding. You have to come behind Jesus and fill in the gaps with your efforts. Because on the cross, it really wasn't finished. Now, in order to perfect your salvation, you have to put in the work. Yes, Jesus died on the cross, but now I have to be the one who live a perfect and righteous life to be fully accepted by God. Yes, Jesus died on the cross, but I have to prove to God that I really deserve his mercy. Yes, Jesus died on the cross, but I need to earn his forgiveness and I need to earn his favor or I need to do some things to be healed or I need to continue to work up and prove to him so that my life could be better. I am the one who really controls my destiny and I am the one who really determines my salvation through my works. And so what happens is we live, so many of us, we, we live in this uh, tension where I, I have to do enough to earn it. And if I don't do enough, I lose it. And so many of us are living our lives in this way, even after we've placed our faith in Jesus, either we are working really, really, really hard to be right with God, or we're worrying every single day, did I do enough? And where do I stand with God? And so what happens is we develop this performance anxiety with God because we never, we're never really sure where we stand with him, right? And so this is why Paul was so passionate about addressing this issue because this message that these Jewish leaders were going around spreading wasn't just wrong information, but it was painting a false picture of God, and it was robbing people of their joy in God. And this message was redefining the truth, and it was compromising their salvation, and Paul wanted to speak against that. 
And this is what we're going to talk about in verses 11 to 14, Paul telling the Galatians about a time where he had to stand up and defend the truth of the gospel, speaking up when the message of the gospel was being redefined. When the gospel message is compromised or redefined in any way, we have a responsibility to speak up because we risk losing Jesus. And this is why this mattered to Paul. We live in a world today that is constantly redefining meaning, constantly redefining reality, constantly redefining what is true. And, And we see how things yesterday are not true today. And things that are true today won't be true tomorrow, right? For example, if you say to someone, I'm in my bag. If you are of an older generation, you'd probably be thinking, why are you in your bag? Are you homeless? Right? I mean, a garbage bag, like you don't have clothes, right? But a younger generation would understand that the bag means that you're very successful, not homeless, right? Or if you tell someone, he understood the assignment. (laughs) Someone of an older generation would think, your assignment, like you're still in school? Why are you still in school? Like you didn't understand the assignment? You still flunking, you know? But Today's generation understands that to be someone is actually exceeding expectations, not a failure. They're killing the game, which is another phrase. Doesn't mean murder. It means that you're doing very well, right? You're killing the game. So my six-year-old son, Isaiah, he's cute. He's all like this little, I mean, you see him. Yeah. So we were having dinner one day. And he's eating, and then he screams out. He's like, this food is bussing, <laughs> right? And so I'm like, Isaiah, what? He's like, this food is bussing. And I'm thinking he said something crazy. And I'm like, I'll bust you in your bottom if you say that again, you know? And then so all the kids were like, no, dad, no, dad. He means, it means it's really, really good. And so I'm thinking they're doing this Jedi mind trick so they could kind of like make sure he doesn't get in trouble. Like say, this is what it means. It means very good. But then I'm like, this food is busting? Like what? what in the like we live in a world today where things don't make sense. <laughs> like things that meant something back then is totally different today, right? Marriage doesn't mean the same today as it meant back then. Gender identity is being redefined. We're like, today, I don't know what pronoun to use, even though clearly I can tell. But we are told we have to redefine certain things, even about things that are clear to us. Ethics are being redefined. We don't really know what's right or what's wrong anymore. And the thing is, we are encouraged to celebrate this because if we don't, we are old, (laughs) we are outdated, we're unwilling to adapt, or we are unwilling to be sensitive to people's different perspectives. 
Or maybe we're encouraged to compromise and show empathy to others' perspective because it's working for them. That is the culture that we live in today. But here's the thing. When it comes to the truth of God, there's no compromise. When it comes to the gospel, it cannot be redefined. The most insensitive thing that we can do, in fact, the most dangerous thing that we can do, the most unloving thing that we can do with the gospel of Jesus is to compromise it and not preach it the way it is. The gospel is the truth, and we are the ones who conforms to it and not conform to the world. We are to conform to the gospel and not to conform to the world. And we are to guard it. We are to guard it. And so this is why in verses 11, Paul says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly wrong. And so if you have a pen or anything that you're marking with, you can circle oppose and then you can underline clearly wrong in the wrong. Paul is telling the Galatians that there was a time when Peter came and he had to oppose him. He got into his face because he was clearly wrong. And now if you're reading this or you're hearing this for the first time as a Galatian, this would shock you that Paul got into Peter's face. Who was Peter? And why was this information so important that Paul had to share? Who was Peter? Peter was one of the most influential, powerful leaders of the church back then. Because this was Peter, one of the original 12 disciples. This was an OG of the faith. This was the Peter who walked with Jesus, one of the 12 disciples. And some consider Peter as the leader of the 12 disciples. This was the same Peter that Jesus said, you will help build my church. And this was the same Peter in Acts chapter 2 when he preached his very first sermon, Holy Spirit came down and 3,000 people got saved. And because of that, this entire world was flipped upside down because of him and his gospel preaching the truth. This was the same Peter that today Catholic Church will consider to be the first pope, a powerful, influential leader. So can you imagine Paul standing in front of Peter? Can you imagine someone like me standing in front of the pope and tell the pope that you are wrong? I'd get jumped by nuns, right? (laughs) Because this is not something that you would expect to happen. Paul's boldness to confront Peter showed the seriousness of his theological error, the seriousness of his theological compromise. And whatever Peter was wrong about, Paul wasn't just going to let that fly. He was willing to stand up, to stand up and not just watch it happen because the truth mattered to Paul. And the way Peter was causing confusion for people also mattered. And so there will be times where we will have to stand up like Paul for the truth. And regardless of the pressure, regardless of the power, we have 
pressure from friends. We have pressure on your college campuses. You have pressure from the culture. You have pressure from media. You have pressure from a powerful government who set laws. And then you even have internal pressures with desires that you are worn with within your heart. You probably have pressure in your job right now because you're seeing unethical practices happening and you have to stand up for the truth. Because we know the truth revealed in God's word, we are responsible to stand up and not back down. And even if the world around us is redefining truth and redefining reality or redefining how we should live, the truth of God is non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. Because Jesus is the one. Listen, not us, it's not my opinion, but Jesus is the one who says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. And this is one of the reasons why we do want to talk about Mission Sunday, because the unreached people group need to hear Jesus, because no one can come to the Father except for me. The Bible also says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name, not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Confucius, not Joseph Smith. There's no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. And that's the name of Jesus. Right? And so, listen, we may be unpopular or we may not draw a large crowd, but that's not our opinion, and that's not our concern. Our responsibility is to preach the non-negotiable truth and live according to that truth. And this is why even here at Blueprint, we can change some things about our church and we can change some things to be more culturally relevant. We can change some things about the way that we worship to engage more people. We can change some things about the way that we engage our community to have an impact, but we will never change the message of the gospel to fit within our culture. The message of the gospel is non-negotiable. It's a non-negotiable truth that we cannot compromise. Peter was compromising and Paul had to be called, or, or Peter was compromising and Paul had to call him out. Verse 12, look at verse 12. Let's look at how Peter was compromising. Verse 12 says, before certain men came from James, he, Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles. But then when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision party. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray. And so pretty much the context of this is Peter made this visit to the local church in Antioch because he heard about the gospel changing the lives of these non-Jewish people. And Jews at the time believed that Gentiles could never be saved. They're a radical sinner, radically unclean. 
They could never be accepted by God. And so they were raised in their religion to believe that they're not like these Gentiles. They were clean and these Gentiles were for the streets. And so they thought that these, they were superior than the Gentiles. They looked down on the Gentiles. And I hate to say it, but sometimes religious people in the church still think this way. We still think this way, where we as religious people have judgmental attitudes where we think we are superior than people around us who are not religious, where we think that we are better because we have different morals, that we think that we are better because we are holier. And we think people around us are animals. The Jews called Gentiles dogs and treated them like animals. And I think sometimes we treat people who are not in the church or who don't believe like us like they are animals, unclean. And so Peter came to Antioch to check out, like, what's happening? I'm hearing that Gentiles are being changed by the gospel. I need to see it for myself. Could it possibly be true that the Gentiles could be changed by the gospel? Could it possibly be true that people from the streets could be changed and be a part of the church? Could it possibly be true that people with crazy backgrounds, crazy sin in their lives, actually come to know Jesus? And so Peter had to come and see it for himself. He had to come and see it to believe it, which is sad. Yes, it's amazing what happened, but it's also sad because what Peter really was doing is doubting the power of God. Like, could God really change these type of people? I need to see it. Rather than celebrating it, we want to investigate it. And we do that with people that come to faith and we want to wait and see. Let me see if it's for real, right? They accept Jesus, but you know what? Before I invite you in my Christian circle, let me first investigate to see if you're really following Jesus. And so what these people, these Jewish leaders felt like, I need to investigate your works and your efforts, and I can't put trust in you believing in Christ alone. And I have to see the change in your life before I hang with you. And so Peter came to investigate, but then when he arrived, he saw how God really changed the life of these Gentiles, and we see how he celebrated. He ate with them. He was chilling with them, laughing with them, eating. And that's a very uh, 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 significant thing to do at the time when people sat around a dinner table because it represented family. And so Peter is now acknowledging that these Gentiles, unbelieving people or un-Jewish people 
who don't follow the same tradition and custom are now family. Because that's what the gospel does. There's no message like the gospel that has the power to break down barriers to unify people. People from different backgrounds, people with different pasts, people with different religion and religious beliefs, or different race or social economic uh, uh, backgrounds. The gospel breaks down those barriers. People who vote differently. Democrats, Republican, right? They can come together and eat and be family. The gospel unites people and makes them family. And this is why it was so important for Paul to fight for this unity, this gospel unity. But we see in verse 12, the moment that man from James came to Antioch, Peter switched up. He started to draw back. He regularly would eat with the Gentiles. Before certain men from James came, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared the circumcision party. And so we see how Peter had no problem hanging out with the Gentiles, but the moment he saw these men from James, he started acting different right? Because he was afraid. Who are these men from James? These men from James, they were another influential groups. And these men from James were people who learned from James, the half-brother of Jesus. Can you imagine that, right? And so if you're the half-brother in Jesus, and then you follow, you have followers and people who learn under you, you think you're kind of like superior, And so these were really influential people. And so when Peter saw these men coming, he was afraid. These men from James were like religious policemen. And they were going around different churches to make sure, are you worshiping like us? Right? Are you singing like us? Does your fate look like us? Does your tradition look like us? Are you following our rules and our standards? They're going around looking for something wrong instead of what was right. Right? How are you living? How are you dressing? How are you praying? They had a standard that people had to measure up to in order for them to justify or be justified in their faith. And so religious policing still exists today. And it's still something that happens in the church and it's still something that happens even in our hearts where we are looking and judging people based on these particular standards that we have set up for them to follow. And we determine their faith based on our standards. That's religious policing. And that's actually a judgmental spirit. If people are really Christians, then they should talk like me. If people are really Christians, then they should be reformed like me, right? For those of you who are very big on reformed theology. If people are really Christian, they should worship like me. 
if people are really Christians, they should act like me. Or maybe if people are, very, are, are really Christians, by now you should have overcame that sin. Because I did. And this is an attitude that we need to stand up against, both in our lives and when we see it. Because if we don't, it will bring division within the church and it will make people feel like they don't belong. And this is what Peter was communicating to the Gentiles when he backed away from them because of these men from James. Essentially, he was saying, I am too good for you and you don't belong in my family. And listen, if people feel like they don't belong in your circles, they will feel like they don't belong in God's family. And that's why it's so dangerous. And that's why Peter had to fight against this because what he was communicating was that these Gentiles were unworthy for him to have a meal with. And so if people feel like they're unworthy for you, they will feel unworthy for God. And so this was a lie, and this is why Peter had to be rebuked by Paul. And Paul got into his face and called him a hypocrite. Because Peter knows, out of all people, Peter knows that he shouldn't be looking down on these Gentiles because of their sin. Because this was the same Peter who, when Jesus was on the cross, dying for his sin, denied Jesus three times. And so Peter had major failures in his life, and he was in no position to look down on these Gentiles. And so the word that Paul used for Peter, this word hypocrite, here literally means someone who is putting on a mask to perform. And so Peter was performing. Someone who puts on a mask to try to earn approval by performing instead of being authentic. And so what Peter was doing, Peter was wearing one mask for these religious men from James, and he was wearing another mask for the Gentiles. He was wearing one mask for these religious people, but then wearing another mask for these Gentiles. Peter was afraid of these men from James, and he was being a people pleaser to the Gentiles. He was afraid of man, and he was a people pleaser. And we have to fight against those two things in our lives because when we are afraid of man and when we are a people pleaser, we don't make a good servant of Christ. We don't. When we are afraid of what people may think about us, when we have to live for God, when we find ourselves putting on these masks so that people can affirm us or to like us or to come to church to be affirmed by religious people and do all these things. When we're doing this because we are either afraid of men or we want to be affect, affirmed and accepted by 
people. We don't make good servants of Christ because we are worshiping people, not God. And this powerful leader, Peter, was afraid. And he was living behind a mass. He was living in the dark. And living behind a mass, I want you to hear this, will destroy you. Living behind a mass will destroy you, and not just you, but destroy every religion or every relationship around you. Living behind a mass will destroy you and destroy those around you. But thank God, Paul had a Peter to call him out. Paul had a Peter to oppose him. Paul had a Peter who had the guts to call him out. Who do you have in your life that can call you out? Who do you have in your life that can call you out when you're clearly wrong and not acting in line with the gospel to bring you back to the truth? And we all need people like Paul because sometimes we are Peter. In fact, most of the time we are Peter. And we need a Paul in our lives to remind us that we don't have to impress people. Right? We don't have to impress people. We don't need to be afraid of people. We don't need to look for people to make us feel good. And then we don't need to do that with God and put on a mask with God because God sees through and behind our mask. And listen, Romans 5 verse 8, and I'll paraphrase it this way. God saw throughout your mask and how broken and messed up you are. And while you were still messed up, Christ died for you. And so we don't need to pretend with God because God receives us. And we don't need to impress God with our performance. Our performance will never impress God because the one performance that impressed him happened on the cross. That's the only performance that impressed God. And this is why it's non-negotiable that we live behind a mask trying to perform because your performance is never good enough. Jesus, by his grace, through faith, gave the best performance for you. And so in verse 13 to 14, we see how living behind a mask or living a life that's not consistent with the truth can be damaging to other people. The verse says, the other Jews join in in Peter's hypocrisy so that their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, was led astray. And when I saw that they were not acting in line with the gospel, I said to Peter in front of all of them, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Because of Peter's hypocrisy, all the other people started leaving the faith. People were wounded because of his hypocrisy. People were turning away from Jesus. Division happened within this community. And even Barnabas, 
And Barnabas was actually the lead pastor of Antioch at the time. And so we see how Peter's hypocrisy even led someone like Barnabas, and it was a close friend to Paul. And Paul was so hurt by that. Hypocrisy, our hypocrisy, hurt other people. Barnabas was turned away from the faith. It sent shockwaves throughout this community. The world, just like these people who were led astray, is watching us and how we are living our lives. And the way that we live our lives can be damaging if it's not consistent, consistent with the truth. People at your jobs are watching the way that you live your life. Your kids are watching the way that you live your life. Your family, your friends, people on your social media are watching the way that you live your life. And then even people who don't know Jesus are watching how we live. And for the most part, people would not believe in our truth if they don't see the evidence in our lives. If they don't see it. We can preach it, but if we're not practicing it, they won't believe it. Our lives, when we live inconsistent to the truth, is damaging. But our lives, when we live consistent to the truth, that's a powerful evidence that speaks louder than our words. And this is why at the end, Paul says to Peter, listen, you can't tell people how to live when you yourself are not living that same standards according to, you're not following the Jewish customs. And you know, I am so guilty of that. I'm guilty of doing that in my home with my wife and my kids. And sometimes I'm guilty of doing that as a pastor, all right? I'm guilty of doing that at home with my kids. Every morning I tell my kids, you wake up, make your bed, clean up, pick up your clothes, put your shoes up, like clean, make sure you do your chores before you go to school. And then they go into my room, they see my bed not made, my clothes all over the place, right? I don't practice what I preach. I do that with my wife. I'm like, babe, show grace to me. I'm going to mess up. Talk to me nice. Like, don't disrespect me at home. You know, like, love me. Be patient. Show, like, forgive me when I mess up. But man, when she mess up, it's over. <laughs> right? And we do that with people. We want forgiveness. We want people to show us kindness. We want mercy. We want people to treat us well. We want people to accept us and receive us and love us. But we don't give that out. In the same way with God. We want to be accepted by God. And we know that the gospel is the only thing that makes us right with God. And you know that. But you don't give it out. We don't give it out. If we really believe it and we want it for ourselves, then we would want it for others. If we really believe that's the only way that we can be right with God, then we should believe that's the only way people need to be right with God and we should be unashamed to preach the truth of the gospel and not compromise it. And this is why Paul says, 
right? In Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the truth. I will not compromise the truth. The truth is non-negotiable, regardless of what you think or you believe, because this truth and this gospel is the power of God unto salvation. There is nothing else that is power in salvation to give you right relationship with God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for anyone who believes, first the Jew and the Gentiles. And I am not ashamed of that. I will not compromise that. It's not negotiable. The gospel is worth defending. The truth of God is worth defending. And it's worth living out consistently because that is what attracts people to Jesus. And sometimes we can be a stumbling block from that and keep people away from Jesus. And this is why it's so vital and so important. In fact, the most loving thing that we can do is to speak truth, the uncompromised truth. I want to encourage you today. If you're not a believer and you don't know Jesus, Jesus is the only way. No other religion can bring us in right relationship with God. None of your efforts could make you right with God. Regardless of how good you can try to be, that would not work. Jesus is the only way. And if you feel like, maybe, you know what? I think I'm too far from God. That I have so many things in my past that I've done and God would never accept me and I need to figure out how to get clean before I come to God. You can't. Because it's by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone and to the glory of God alone that we live. And there's nothing else that we can do. And now I want to encourage you as believers, if you truly believe in this gospel and this gospel has done work in your life and radically changed you and someone gave this gospel to you, don't hold it back and keep it to yourself. Share it. In the same way like we're talking about missions, how people are dedicating their lives to go overseas, to live amongst people who are unreached, who will never be able to hear the name of Jesus. They've sacrificed their life because they believe that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is the only way to heaven. They sacrificed their life to go on mission to tell people who would never hear about the name of Jesus. Jesus is the only way. So the gospel is worth fighting for. You cannot compromise it. It's a non-negotiable truth. Father, thank you for this gospel that we have this gospel that we stand on, this gospel that we are to defend. And not just with our words and what we preach, but with our lives, that when we leave 
this church and go to our jobs or go to our homes or go to the campuses or anywhere that you have called us to live, we will live consistently with the gospel, live in truth, not trying to perform for the world and not even trying to perform for you, but we live authentically because we know it's not our efforts that brings people to Jesus, but it's you, your grace alone, through our faith alone, and in Jesus alone, that we are what we are, and how we live that life. I pray that it will bring people to you, it will attract people to you, and not be a stumbling block for people. So I pray this, give us strength, because only in your strength we can do that. Your Holy Spirit is what empowers us to do that. And so today we ask that you would give us strength to be consistent and walk in line with the gospel. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.